Imagine living your life after 50 and feeling energized and excited about your future. Welcome to the Women in the Middle podcast, the podcast for women who are ready to figure out what they want and create the life they deserve. Here's your host and master certified life coach, Susie Rosenstein. Hey there, today's episode is all about how to get unstuck and pivot in and out of corporate with Leah Garvin. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast, Women in the Middle, with over a million downloads and counting. I'm your host, Susie Rosenstein, your master certified coach and midlife mentor, and I am so glad to be here with you again. The topic today is all about how to get unstuck, plain and simple. You're going to get lots of insight here about the whole experience of being stuck, especially in the context of career changes and pivots. Let me tell you a bit more about my amazing guest today. Leah Garvin's got a great unstuck story, and you know how much I love a story like that. (laughs) When you are stuck, you are searching for inspiration on how to stop the spin, get some clarity, and move forward already. What's taking so long? That's why I know you're going to love meeting her and hearing our conversation. Leah is the author of the book, Unstuck, Reframe Your Thinking to Free Yourself from the Patterns and People that Hold You Back. To write this book, she leaned into nearly 10 years of experience working in some of the largest and most influential companies in tech, including Microsoft, Apple, and Google, to explore the power of reframing to overcome common challenges found in the modern workplace. She's also a TEDx and SXSW speaker and has been a featured guest on WGN Chicago and WJLA Washington, D.C. News. She was recognized by the National Diversity Council as a 2021 DEI champion. As an operations leader, speaker, and organizational consultant, Leah is on a mission to humanize the workplace one conversation at a time. I love that so much. Through her writing, leadership coaching, and savvy program management skills, she brings an authentic and irreverent sense of humor to teams to help them examine the challenges holding them back and focus on what matters. She has also built robust diversity and inclusion programs, launched the world's first holographic computer, driven programs and initiatives around team inclusion and organizational effectiveness, and coaches people on how to drive impactful work and thrive working in tech. Leah has a Bachelor of Arts from UCLA in Sociology, a Master of Arts in Media Studies from the New College of California, and is a co-active and ICF certified professional coach. Let's dive in because it is time to get unstuck. Please enjoy this episode. Hi, Leah. Thanks so much for joining me today on the Women in the Middle podcast. Thank you so much, Susie. So excited to be here. I am really excited to have you here because this whole feeling stuck in your career thing, especially in midlife, is so huge and so painful. And it's exactly what happened to me in my personal stuck story for five years. I was stuck (laughs) for five years. Horrible. (laughs) I'm from 45 to 50. And it's what led me to get coaching and to eventually become a coach. And I love asking guests about their stuck story and how they got unstuck. So let's just start there. Why did you get stuck? What was going on for you with work? Yeah. So uh, I had been working in tech for about five, five or six years as a non-engineer woman in tech. So I'm feeling <laughs> really kind of like an imposter in every situation I was in. And wow. I moved into, I joined that work, working in product teams, always feeling like I couldn't go head to head with an engineer or or a product manager. I'm kind of always feeling really difficult to articulate the value that I brought. And so 
I felt really stuck. Like I wanted to be in this industry and I knew I had a lot to offer, but I felt so much of that imposter syndrome and that when I would, you know, try to explain what I was doing and why it mattered, it, it just wouldn't land. And my unstuck story is that I recognize, you know, hey, there's a lot of other roles within tech that aren't working on product teams. And so I moved into working on diversity inclusion, building diversity inclusion programs and working on team-wide operations where really quickly I was able to become an expert in this area and show, hey, this is the value that I bring. I don't have to be technical. I'm not an engineer. And that was actually a superpower that I could bring a different perspective. And um, it, it just set my whole path from there in, in tech on a totally different trajectory. And similar to you, I, I got coaching. I became a coach, did a lot of mentorship and dug into helping other people in tech feel empowered. Like It's a tough industry, even if you are technical, let alone if you're <laughs> not. right? And so I did a lot of work on helping people articulate their value, the thing I had struggled most with, to talk about their impact, to gain more confidence. And and then, you know, as you can guess, I ended up, you know, kind of consolidating these things that I had been working with people on and and overcome myself into my book, Unstuck. So this is my stuck story became <laughs> unsticking people and the book Unstuck. I love it. And one of the things that you touch on that is so important is being a woman in a non-traditional field for women yeah, and and how that really impacted you. So how did you end up pursuing that inclusion and diversity? Like, how did that idea come to you? Yeah, great question. So I, you know, I was working in program management and team operations on product teams. And I kept noticing, you know, when I would bring up, hey, the reason stuff's not getting done is because people aren't talking to each other, or people are excluded, or there's this interpersonal, you know, issue. I would often get the feedback like, you know, focus on the work and the people stuff later. And I'm like, oh, like this is the work, but, <laughs> but you know, it, it was not well received. And I said, you know, I don't know, should I move into HR or some other kind of field? And so I was thinking about doing a bigger career move. Um, and actually at the time it was when, um, you know, the diversity inclusion programs were, were just started being built up in, you know, tech industry and in the, in the company I was in. So there was an opportunity and I pursued it and it ended up being, you know, the exact right thing at the right time. So it was kind of timing. And and I also not fully diverging into a space I wasn't that interested in. Like I, I wasn't wanting to move into HR. I wanted to stay in working kind of in the in the ground level organization. But yeah, it, it ended up just being kind of because I was looking for something new and more. I had my radar out for kind of different kinds of things. Oh, that's so good. But how how did you recognize it was time for a change? Because uh, I had so much difficulty for that. Like the way I figured it out was so slow and painful, but the word that I came to was I'm just no longer content. Mm. And I'd been content for so long. I loved my job. It was a great place to work, but I had just been there too long. I had no perspective though. And I had no clue how fearful I was about change. Yeah. So I kind of picked up on that feeling of not being content. And I knew I used to be content. So what do you think? How do we know that it's actually time for a change? So this brings me into like my most recent unstuck story, which is the big career pivot I, I just made just a few weeks ago, which is I had been in team operations and program management now almost 10, 12 years. And I noticed 
I, I felt the same frustrations no matter what subject I was working on oh, and wow. whether it was now in team operations, in products, in, you know, large, small teams. And I was like, wait, I, I keep, it's, it's like, it's good. And I'm getting, I'm excited. I'm learning. And then I quickly reached this plateau of like, this isn't what I want to be doing. I'm not, I don't want to be at this sort of in this kind of work. And I, um, so after I launched my book in April, I had been really building up my uh, consulting and coaching business and wanting to make a pivot out of the corporate world. And then I didn't because, hey, you know, there's, you know, I had a good job, you know, you have financial security. And so I started feeling really conflicted internally. And wow. then the little things that were sort of bothering me were getting more, it was like my radar was out and, and it was more like, you don't, this isn't what you want to be doing, you know, and that alarm bell was going off. And so just in literally June, I made the decision. I said, you know, I had said to myself, I set this goal, write a book, you know, do your Ted talk, get out there and make the switch. Cause this was what I had been building. You got to do it. And so I, I took the leap and I think, um, the the couple things that I had to recognize to your question were it no longer was like stuff I could change and fine tune within my work. It was the kind of work I was doing. Mm. It wasn't giving me fulfillment. Like you said, it wasn't making me content. And I knew that I could do the kind of work I wanted to be doing from another lens, have such a bigger impact if I was doing it externally. So, you know, supporting teams, be more inclusive, work better together from an outside perspective just allows you to approach the whole situation so much differently and, and from another angle and with a different level of attachment to it. So that had just been like, like I said, an alarm bell going off, like, hello, like you said you would do this and I got to do it. So um, that's the the pivot I just actually made. Yeah. Just a few weeks ago. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, I know it's, it could be scary, but so you mentioned wanting to make an impact. And I hear this a lot from women in my community, this idea that being more fulfilled is often tied, not for everybody, but to making a larger impact. So is that something that you were becoming more sensitive to yourself? Yeah, it definitely was. I mean, I think especially because my work was around helping women feel more empowered in the workplace and helping teams function better. It felt like, hey, if this if this wasn't the primary focus, I would never be able to make the, the most impact that I possibly could. And so I think, like you said, it's it's not always possible to have your day job be the thing that you love to do. Um, but because I had seen like a sliver of that, that it was a possibility to, to just choose not to do that felt really misaligned. And so I felt like to be able to make the biggest impact, to, to reach as, as many people as I could, especially coming out of you know, we're still in the pandemic, but in this new stage of it, yeah. where so many people are reconsidering everything they want to be doing, myself included, it was, it kind of felt like, yeah, I have to do it. Yeah, you have to do it. Somebody has to do it and yeah. nobody's going to do it for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and I mean, on that note, like waiting longer, like you said, it, it, you know, feeling stuck for five years is a common thing. We might feel stuck for a long, long time because we think I'm going to become more confident. I'm going to become more comfortable with this change. I'm going to, but like gonna doesn't happen. And then we just keep showing up. And I think I recognize that if I didn't see this moment as this like sort of window that was closing, then like I had a new book launch, I had this thing, then it would just be every day. There would be no trigger and no signal. And I think for a lot of times 
we don't have something that's pushing us, it, it, it can take even more like, okay, I'm going to, you know, jump out of this plane, you know, and take a leap. And it can be scary to do that. And I think a lot of times, you know, for, for most of us, you know, questions of, you know, security finances, we might be the primary income earner. There's all these reasons that, that make it complicated. And so I think a lot of times that's why people often, you know, start a side hustle while they're in something else and see yeah. like, one, is it even something I'm interested in that I'd want to do full time? And then two, is there a runway here? Yeah, definitely. Good. There's Those are really good things to check out, but sometimes there is no perfect time. Yeah. And there's nothing you can do to guarantee that there will be a perfect time. Like, yeah, we're looking for certainty and guarantees and they just don't exist. You just got to pull yeah. that bandaid off sometimes. But, yeah. you know, one of the things I've seen a lot is that people don't seem to appreciate is around impact. And mm-hmm. one of the risks of staying stuck and not taking the responsibility of unsticking yourself is that you're not making the impact that you want to make. So there are people out there waiting for you to get your act together so that you can help them or that you can be on their team or you can get into your zone of genius so that you can make a bigger impact. But when we're stuck, we're just thinking about our stuckness and the pain and confusion of being stuck. Have you seen that in corporate? Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I think especially when, well, as you say, being stuck often starts this, you know, negative narrative, self-talk, limiting perspectives that, well, I can't do more. I'll never be this, or this is closed off to me. And so, yeah, we can't realize our full potential. We, we stop taking risks. We stop going for new opportunities or we're, maybe we take risks, but then we're quickly, you know, we feel burned by a setback or rejection. And then we say, okay, well, I'm definitely not going to do that again. And so, yeah, I think, you know, we really only realize our full potential for impact when we are, you know, going big and thinking, you know, more generatively and, and about possibility. And so I think, yes. you know, when we're feeling stuck, it's about a lot of times it's about the reasons and the defenses and the why nots. And so, you know, I think that's a way to recognize that we're stuck. Sometimes it's hard to know we're stuck and we say, God, I thought I just, you know, I thought people just don't love their job. It's just work, whatever. Right. You hear that? Kind That's of why thing. it's called work. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. <laughs> or, you know, whatever I, you know, my, my job doesn't have to give me fulfillment. It's, it's okay to be separate. And I think, you know, people can find joy and fulfillment in any kind of task. It has, does not have to be, you know, doing, you know, volunteer work or something, some sort of like, you know, social good. It can be anything. I mean, you can, you know, work in any field and still, support others, empower others, you know, be, be doing something that feels like it's for the greater good. Um, and I think that's where it gets into really being a mindset question. Like if you believe your work is meaningless, then that's how you're going to be putting it forward. Um, I, I was working with a program manager a couple of years ago that, so program manager, you know, it's like a project manager, but for multiple things, they're managing schedule timeline deliverables for a set of projects or a team. And she referred to her job as a professional nag, like, oh, I just nag people to get stuff done. And I said, if that's the way you're talking about and selling what your impact is, then you're going to feel stuck. You are not going to get where you want to be because it's on you to own the story of your work and your impact. And when you've already sold it as something that's so, you know, diminished and downplayed, then everybody's going to look at it like that. And 
you know, reminding her of this, she had a real wake up call for her. she had wanted to get ahead and move faster. And yet she was, you know, positioning her work as like something, you know, so trivial. And, you know, we talked about how do you shape that story and how do you make sure other people are aware of the impact? And it changed the whole way she approached her work. And, you know, I think that's another reason I, I focus a lot with people on telling their story, owning their impact, because we can get in our own way. You know, it's hard enough so out there. True. So <laughs> yeah. true. So true. So one of the things that um, I know that you talk a lot about are common pitfalls that women specifically make in their careers. And, you know, tell me a little bit more about that. What insights do you have and what can people do? What can women do, especially midlife women, to avoid some of these pitfalls? Yeah. So the pitfalls are essentially the, the 12 chapters in my book, which are, you know, go from feedback to, I just talked about impact, goal setting, conflict, confidence, value, negotiating, ego, failure, accountability, decision-making, and comparison. So that's the list (laughs) of 12. And I think, you know, what I explore in the book is first why we get stuck. And um, I think for women specifically in the workplace, we are, you know, socialized with this whole set of biases and double standards and stereotypes and, you know, don't be too much this, do this, not that, be all these contradictions at the same time. And, And as we grow and advance in our career, we're often not given um, like a new set of perspectives. And we think, okay, feedback, you know, feedback, something I did wrong. Feedback means, you know, I'm not good enough. And, and we believe that and we hear feedback, it becomes really hard to action on it. Um, and it, it becomes hard to tease apart. Yes. There's a lot of bias and feedback and there's a lot of information. So like, it's not about saying all feedback's a gift or all feedback we should listen to, you know, even if someone is insensitive or the feedback is, um, has like personality judgment and bias, that's true. And there's always, there's a signal. And so I think what I like to remind, especially women is, um, there's a really complicated context that we, we come into the workplace with. And because of that, sometimes we can attach limiting beliefs onto these situations that are already hard, like negotiating. It's, hard enough to negotiate, (laughs) right? I think they say women, you know, research shows have a often easier time negotiating for someone else than for themselves. Oh, wow. Right. But what does, what's the result of not negotiating? Just getting paid less. Literally, that's the, that's, that's the result of it. Right. So, you know, letting go of, it's not okay to talk about money. I shouldn't ask for this. Good work. It's noticed these beliefs, um, these are the pitfalls that end up resulting in feeling invisible, like your work isn't counting, like you have to, um, like you got, you know, signed up for an offer that was under what you should have, you know, gotten that, um, being afraid of failure and risks, all these things can make the experience much harder. So those are the areas that I talk about my book and how to use, um, the power of reframing or looking at them through a new perspective to say, okay, well, the perspective that feedback's bad and this is a criticism that wasn't serving me. So what if I look at it this way, that it's information about the other person's, you know, preferences and behaviors. Now, what can I learn from it? So it's about opening up to more possibilities. Love that. You know, one of the things that uh, midlife women really deal with is this urgency around running out of time Yeah, and thoughts about it's too late. I'm too old. And that really limits the way we think about what's possible and opportunities. Um, What 
What can you say about that? That can, you know, I'm busting that myth all the time because I have just seen so much possibility and opportunity, but there definitely is ageism out there. So what do you think? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think, um, you know, like you say, it's the more we believe that the less risks we take and the more true it becomes. And then it's this vicious cycle. And so I'd say, yeah, the, the context may be that start, you know, founders and startups and all this is started by people that are 21 and, and whatever. But I think the more you're tuning into what, you know, what is your superpower area of expertise or your real passions, um, not potentially starting there as a place, as opposed to, you know, um, I want to create a startup about this thing. I don't really, I just know I want to make a startup, but I don't really, it's not tapped into like what I actually know in my area of expertise or my, I think sometimes we can approach pivots for, you know, reasons that are extrinsic benefits. And then that's really hard when we encounter setbacks, you know, tuning into, Hey, I love working with people or I love teaching or I love, um, helping people feel, um, like explore new places or, you know, feel connected to others. If you find these sort of value centered things that you like to do and you answer the question like, well, what kind of things do people come to me for? What are the things that are really places that I shine? What problems do people have that I'm aware of? Then you can actually say, okay, you know, this is a real gift or a strength that I have. And it's a lot easier to, um, I shouldn't say easier. It's always gonna be hard. It's a lot more straightforward how to start planning (laughs) you know, charting a course around a pivot um, when it's something that you're really, really passionate about that you have an intrinsic kind of learning centered motivator behind. Mm, Yeah, so good. And I was wondering with this reframing that you focus on in the book, can you talk a little bit about reframing transferable skills? You know, what I've seen a lot of, especially with women, and you've touched on this a little bit, is just minimizing what we're good at, right? And this has come up so much where If it's not exactly in the job description or one of your duties, responsibilities or whatever, you don't have a, many women don't have a natural tendency to appreciate the value of transferable skills. What have you um, seen around that? It's such a great question. I'm like nodding my head furiously because I, I mean, absolutely. I think a few things when, when talking about our skills, we always want to frame them in terms of you know, what impact and benefit they had. Speaking of impact again, like, you know, not only what we did, like a skill could be problem solving, but that could feel very generic, right? Or communication. So now it's, okay, what was the skill? Where did I apply it? And then how did it transform the organization or situation I was in? And and I like to tell that sort of story in the context of, um, you know, I'm proud about this or I'm excited about this, or this is a really... um, yeah, eager to share this update so that it's, I think that's a, a way that we can do a little bit of talking about ourselves and a little bit more mm. of a propping ourselves up that doesn't feel like, you know, the where we get that you're, you're bragging, you're showing off in narrative, right? So for example, let's say I wanted to talk about, um, right, I talked about, I moved to that diversity inclusion, building that program. And so right. I think I could say, I was a program manager and I, I mapped out the plan and made sure all the work got done, right? Like that's, <laughs> that's a way to not sell it. <laughs> or I could say, you know, um, about five years ago, I had the opportunity, super exciting to be able to build our first diversity inclusion program and tackling it from the ground up. I developed the strategy, really thinking through what were the blockers getting in the team's way uh, from getting the program off the ground. 
working with our leaders, you know, really breaking down some of the communication barriers on how they understood and could talk about the inclusion issues, arming them with some tools and strategies to be able to build a more inclusive team to, to operationalize some of this work across our hiring, across our, you know, retention programs, across the projects we were mapping out. So like you see how I'm already changing the way I'm talking about it. I'm mapping yeah. skill to action. And then it's, I think that really shows the transferable skills applied. So let's say I took that example and now I want to um, run a sales team. I've no experience in sales. So I'm just like, I'm thinking on the fly, how am I going to do this? So <laughs> I say, you know, um, I haven't worked in sales, but I have built something from the ground up. And then I do that, right? Or why does, maybe you don't even want to say you haven't done it. Sales is really exciting to me because I have an opportunity to build something from the ground up. In a similar experience in my career, I did X, Y, Z, and the impact it had was this. And I'm excited to apply that to this situation. So I think by framing it really in terms of the skill, you know, the application of it and the benefit to the organization, mm. you really start to show this, like you for, you're doing a forward pointing to how a skill could really be transferable. Because like you say, I, I know, right. Especially when we've do, been doing a job for a long time, yes. maybe 10, 15 years, we've been in an industry 20 years, we might say, well, I just know retail. That's all I know. I just know sales. I just know customer service. And we forget that most of these jobs and functions utilize the same skills, but we have to have that story of how we, you know, how do we see that they could be applied? And then the person we're talking to can see that with us. Absolutely. And so what I'm really picking up on is to be more curious about your excitement, which is something mm -hmm. that I talk about all of the time. One of the tools I use is Envy. And, you know, Envy gets a bad rap, but I like to really challenge people to think about what have you been envious about and then be curious about it. Like, just mm -hmm. look at it as data. Oh, somebody yeah. had a, a surf shop um, on an island that you visited when you were on vacation and you got all excited about why, what, what about that? I'm sure that you don't want to surf. You don't want to own a surf shop, but what is it about that that got excited? And in fact, that was kind of what happened with me. I was, I was doing a needlepoint project for my kids and I was new to needlepoint and I ended up in this needlepoint store looking for threads and looking for some guidance for, from the teachers there, the, the woman who owned the place. And I found myself overwhelmed with the color and the beauty of all the threads and the canvases. But also, I couldn't stop thinking about the woman who owned the store and how she figured out how to have a business out of a mm. passion, a hobby like Needlepoint. I just remember going back to my office at my J-O-B and just sitting there thinking, I thought I was going to be an entrepreneur by now. How did she figure it out? It's not that I wanted to have a needlepoint store, yeah. but she was doing something that I wouldn't even imagine you could have a business doing, you know? Yeah. And what I walked in on was not just the beauty of everything going on, but there was this table at the back with all these ladies like leaning over with their reading glasses on and lights. And this teacher, this owner of the store was teaching them some fine skill about beading or something on the needlepoint. And I just, my head exploded. Like, <laughs> I thought I'd be doing something cool like this. Yeah. And I'm not. <laughs> and what happened? Yeah. So just being more curious about what you're genuinely excited about at work, asking yourself questions and then thinking about, like you said, directing it to results and really thinking about it more and how it can be implied in other ways. Yeah, exactly. And it's funny, you know, 
in my chapter about comparison, I, I talk about literally the exact same thing, reframing FOMO, right? Fear of yes. missing out. And it's exactly what you said. Of yes. Seeing, discerning between like, hey, I, I'm feeling this pang of yeah, envy or jealousy or like, wait, why am I not doing that? And then asking ourselves questions, as you said, saying, do I really want this? Or what is it I actually want? Because I, I have a story about a friend of mine or a colleague would, would come to work every Monday and show pictures of his camping trips. And I was like, I wish I was doing that. I'm like, wait, I don't like camping. That's not who I am. Like, why am I getting jealous of this person? And then I said, okay, well, what is it I actually want? Well, I wanted to be, you know, being out more, being more adventurous or taking more, you know, doing more things on the weekends or whatever it was. Like, that's what we want to dive into. And now that's the thing to explore. And so, like you said, I think the key is not getting um, sucked into that narrative of, I should have been doing this by now. I'll never do this. It's too late for me. You know, I'm, you know, I'm at this stage of my life because we already aren't doing it. So if we decide these things, then it just <laughs> stays true. So it's, it's a little bit of why not me? And I think, I think that question can really help people break out of that is, mm. you know, to really say, why not me? And let that sit. And a lot of times we, we can't come up with a good enough reason that we shouldn't just try it. That's kind of what happened with the podcast. Yeah. I kept thinking, well, why not me? And then the first reason was, well, because I suck at technology, which is a thought that I had to really work on yeah. because I've been thinking that thought since 1981 in the computer <laughs> lab in high school when I screwed <laughs> something up and lost a floppy disk or data or who knows what. Yeah. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. I've loved audio my whole life. I've loved radio. I, I have a gramophone. Mm -hmm. I just bought, look at what I just bought. Now, if you're listening, you can't see this. But in honor of the fifth anniversary of the podcast, I purchased a vintage oh, microphone. Wow. Oh, that's gorgeous. Thank you. And I'll definitely put a picture of this in the show notes. But I, um, my sister actually pointed it out to me recently. We were doing some antiquing and poking around. And, and I thought, not everybody who has a podcast gives a hoot about a vintage mic. But it makes perfect sense with the things I've been interested in my whole life. So what yeah. if I could figure the technology out? Or what if the Google was all I needed to yeah. get rid of the fear of technology? Because for sure, so I've had some screw ups. Everybody has. But is that the reason I want to not do something that I'm genuinely curious about and I know will help people? And yeah. I didn't want that to be the reason. Yeah, I love how you said, I mean, I think asking ourselves, what's the worst that could happen, right? Like you said, what wh what is my fear here? And then we answer it and we go, well, that's not something I can't overcome, right? Like fear of technology. Hey, there's a lot of resources out there, or I could ask someone for help, or I could ask someone to teach me. I think um, with doing a big career pivot, I think a lot of times the worst that could happen, people say that it's my business a flop or I leave my job and I have financial insecurity and, and we sort of snowball this bad outcome, but yes. it, it doesn't give ourselves credit that we'll intervene. So like, let's say, you know, I say, what's the worst that could happen that, you know, I launched this business and no one's interested, then you might say, okay, well, how can I, what would I do in that situation? Ask yourself that question. We say, well, I would, you know, ask for feedback from my community, or I would, you know, get a business coach, or I would, you know what I mean? Take out a business. Like, there's a lot of things that we can do 
along the way that actually start mitigating these fears mm. and make them not have this power over us. Because we typically look at something we're afraid of and think, you know, yeah, I'll lose my job, have to, you know, move, you know, out of my house, lose everything. And it's, there's some steps in between <laughs> those things, like at least a few. I know that is terrible. so true. That's so true. And, you know, I always say, we're not just older, we're older and wiser. Like yeah. it, when yeah. I was 21, I didn't have the skills or the resources or the ability to to figure things out as well as I do now. Yeah. Plus there was no Google. Yeah. And so right now I know how to phone a friend. I know my smart friends. I know where they are. Yeah. <laughs> They're very happy to help. And yeah. if they don't know how to help, they know who can help. And, yeah. and I, I'm more open to hiring the help that I need. And yeah. it's much easier if you remember that you are wiser, you have learned a few things over yeah. the years and you yeah. do have more resources than you had when you were poor in college. Yeah. And I think he uh, totally. And the other point you're making is, which may, I think if it's hard for people to ask for help to remember, it's so important to ask for help, right? <laughs> is that yeah. like, that is how we're going to be able to either tap into our network to find another opportunity or to, you know, vet an idea that we have or build skills somewhere, expertise, whether it's getting a coach or taking a class or asking a friend. Um, we really don't have to go at this stuff alone. We really don't. And I think, like you said, with with how much information is available on the internet, with how connected we are these days, that to feel like I want to do this thing, but I have to do it alone. And there's no, there's no resources and anything about it. That's not that's not true. It's it's kind of scary how if you think of anything, someone else has tried it. And there's a YouTube video about it. <laughs> like, that's so true. I'm, I my, I remember when my kids were uh, bar mitzvah age, and it was like such a headache to get three. I have three sons to get them all like dressed early in the morning with ties <laughs> and pocket squares. And I just remember thinking, like, my husband isn't that good at knowing how to do like a pocket square. And so I was like, Ugh, one more thing I have to deal with. And they're like, don't worry, mom, I figured it out. And I'm like, how? So then I looked it up on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. great. <laughs> yeah. So good. So tell me a little bit um, about why you think this unstuck message, you know, whatever you say, I'm going to agree with you. Why <laughs> is this unstuck message so relevant to women in the middle? I mean, I think when, like we've said, when you start to feel stuck, it can feel like everything's too late, like you already called out, or there's no options for me. I'll never do the things I wanted to do. Uh, we start deciding these things are over or closed off. And I think what I want people to take away is that's not the case. That is in and of itself a perspective. And you don't have to believe that. You can say, what else is true? And then you start to see, okay, you know, this founder did this thing at age 60. This business reached its, you know, peak here. This author, you know, landed their big achievement here. I mean, I think we can start to see that um, these, these things that these beliefs that it's too late aren't true and they don't have to be true for us. And so I think what I really want people to take away is feeling empowered that it's not too late. These opportunities are not closed off that believing that is, that's a perspective. And there's another perspective that's the complete opposite, that someone who's out there going after their goals and dreams and pivots, they don't, they're not wearing that perspective. They're doing it anyway. And no, so absolutely. So good. So tell us, how can we get this book? Yeah. 
So, you know, the book Unstuck is available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, wherever books are sold. Um, you can find more about me or read more about the book on my website, leahgarvin.com. I'm also on Instagram at leah.garvin. I have a YouTube channel, Reframe with Leah. So there's a lot of places to, to get in touch um, or on LinkedIn, you know, just look me up there and let me know what you thought about the show. Oh my gosh, fantastic. And you know, we are we are soul sisters when it comes to helping amazing women and people, but I'm very fond of women, helping the women, <laughs> the women in the middle get unstuck. So thank you so much, Leah. I wish you the best with the book. I'm thrilled that you added this kind of um, discussion and perspective to the conversation and the responsibility that we have for a sti- unsticking ourselves, really. Yeah. Thank you so much. Really fun. So good. Thanks again. Okay, that's it for this episode. Did you get some insight and new perspective to help you get moving again? How could you not? Leah totally understands feeling stuck. You get stuck when you feel like you've tried everything, but still can't solve your problem or get to an outcome that you want. But the truth is, you've rarely tried everything. You've rarely talked to everyone. There are things that you just haven't even thought about or haven't been motivated to try or reframe. There are so many possibilities, so many options that could improve the situation. Reframing, asking more questions, asking for help are all amazing ideas. It's always a great idea to be more curious about what's going on up there in your beautiful brain. Now, as you know, my focus as your midlife coach is to help you get unstuck, clear, and excited about your life again. We love the whole unstuck thing. If you want to find out more about how to get unstuck and live your best life in the middle, make sure to watch my free online midlife training at www.midlifevideo.com and you'll get immediate access to some pretty great info about the secret sauce to midlife happiness. If you're ready to change your life and learn the skills to unstick yourself with some masterful coaching, a top-notch curriculum, an infusion of creativity, and a warm, fun, and awesome community of like-minded women, Let's chat. I would love to be able to help you get unstuck and find that thing that you are looking for so that you can create your happy. Just imagine six months from now that you feel happier and completely clear about what it is that you want to do. Unstuck. (laughs) Let's talk about it. Please grab your spot on my calendar. Head over to www.womenintheMiddleAcademy.com. You can also DM me on my Facebook business page which is at symbol, the midlife coach. For show notes and links, head over to www.susierosenstein.com and click the podcast tab and look for episode 277. Thanks so much for listening. It's time for you to put yourself first one thought at a time. I'm Susie Rosenstein, and I will talk to you next week. Okay.